Lord. And God, I just long to hear your voice, and we all do, Lord. We are seeking you today, God, in worship and prayer and even in our giving. It's all for you, God, and it's all because we come to you to hear from you. Lord, I know that as we all have come in here today, some of us, our faith is being stretched, and, and God, some, it can be hard. But we know that you will never give us more than what we can handle. We know your promise is there. And so I pray, God, that you would speak to us, that we may stay the course, Lord, that we may glorify you. So I ask, God, that you would anoint this time with your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so next year is the Tokyo 2020 Summer Olympics, right? Woo, I'm excited. My wife and I love to watch the competition, the races that all go on. And with that in mind, did you know why sun tanning will not be in the 2020 Olympic sport in uh, Tokyo? You know why? Because the best you can ever get is a bronze. <laughs> How about this one? What is a banker's favorite Olympic event? The vault. You get it? Oh, yeah. How about this one? Did you know that old Olympic skiers don't die? They just go downhill. Maybe you heard that one. All right, one more. Someone said, I always wanted to be an Olympic 400-meter runner, but I heard there were too many hurdles. Well, the truth is, preparing to complete in the Olympic Games does take a lot of work, a lot of effort. It takes determination and commitment, right? I mean, think about it. Four to eight years of intense training and preparation. I was just reading this week, the uh, USA gymnast Simon Biles trains for 32 hours a week with one day off. Or gymnast Gabby Douglas, she said she trains from 8 a.m. to noon, then takes a break for lunch, and then continues training until dinner. There was a study done before the 2012 London Olympics, and this study came out that said athletes had put in 10,000 hours of practice before those games. Now, to me, that's commitment, but that's what it takes, right, to excel. That's what it takes, right, to finish well in the Olympic Games. Well, I say this because as we continue on in the book of Hebrews, the writer calls on the Jewish believers to run the spiritual race with this kind of determination, the same kind of commitment all the way to the finish line. They are to stick to the commitment to finish well. And that's the title of our message this morning. The commitment to finish well. We are going to be studying Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1 through 3 this morning. We finally finished up chapter 11. And now as we move on, we're going to see the commitment to finish well in these first three verses of chapter 12. Our outline today is this, and this is the commitment that we make to finish well. Number one, run for the win. Number two, run the long run. And number three, run like Jesus. So I'm excited to get into the word this morning. And so let's begin with number one in our outline. Run for the win. Run for the win. Hebrews chapter 12, take a look with me, the first part of verse one. 
It reads here, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, before we get into our passage, I know that uh, many of you women who went to the conference, my wife had taught on these verses, and and I'm going to try and live up to her message. (laughs) But I believe even though maybe some of you are hearing this again, this is God's will, this is God's appointment, that, you know, we would get it into our hearts even more and more and more. And sometimes we don't get it right right away. And that's why the Lord repeats things to us. All right, so we begin here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and we begin with that word, therefore. And that means like in light of, or in light of the fact, And the writer saying, you know, in light of everything that we just talked about. And what did he just talked about? Well, as we cross over into chapter 12, he talked about the example of unshakable faith in the last chapter, chapter 11. And remember, we took the time to cover those Old Testament saints. We went slow in chapter 11. We had like a total of like 11 messages. But it was wonderful to get into their life and see their great faith that they held on to in the challenges and how they stayed the course, how they stayed committed to do what God asked them to do and in faith trusted in him and his promises in his word. So we call chapter 11, right, the heroes of faith. Well, in light of all that, the writer then says, therefore, in light of that, he says these two words, we also, here in verse 1, He's saying, you know what, we also, us guys, us believers, we should live in that same manner and persevere in faith. And you know why? That's because we are, it says here in verse 1, surrounded by so great a cloud. The word cloud really is speaking about a crowd, a whole bunch of people. And he's talking about the Old Testament examples that we studied about in this last chapter, chapter 11. So there's this whole crowd great cloud, a crowd of examples that are witnesses to us. Now, understand this. The word witness here is the Greek word martus. And this is what it means. One who has information or knowledge of something who can then give information, bring to light, or confirm something. So the idea here is these witnesses are not like, well, some say, well, hey, we're in this big stadium. They're looking down at us and cheering us on and all that. It's really not that thought. With the original language here, we see that they are not looking at us, but we are to look to them. We are to follow after their example in what God can do for those who put their faith in him. We're coming out of chapter 11, so the writer's like, hey, These heroes of faith are to inspire us to live the life of faith. And that's the main idea here. Warren Wiersbe said this, These people are not witnessing what we are doing. Rather, they are bearing witness to us that God can see us through. And I love what he says because that's just coming off of this last chapter we studied. And this is what the writer is saying. This is what we see. Whoa. That's right. God can do that. So even though we're going through struggles, we have this overwhelming testimony that God helps his people make it to the end. And that's the whole idea here. 
Notice that, you know, in the second part of this verse 1, and we're going to cover this in the next section, but the writer introduces this analogy that our life is like running a race. Look where it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And again, we're going to cover that in the next section. But this is the whole idea that the writer is bringing forth into our thoughts. When it says, therefore, we also, the thought here is that you and I should also jump into this race of faith that these guys in chapter 11 had been running. And we will see in this race of faith, God will get us through. And that's what we studied, wasn't it? We saw the historical record in the Old Testament that shows those who put their unshakable faith in the Lord, those who raced before us did end up crossing that finish line of faith. So they were not alone when they went through the challenges, right? The trials, the problems, and the persecution. We saw that God was with them every step of the race. God got them through all the way to the finish. So this is what the writer is saying. And now God is calling you and I, like those of the Old Testament saints who went before us, we also need to step into this race and live that life of faith. And pretty much we've been, I've been applying that in that way as we made it our way through chapter 11. Now, as we get into this thought now and into this verse, the writer shows us that there is a way to step into the race. And this is what we see in this next part that we read in verse 1. It talks about a two-part preparation number one let us lay aside every weight and number two let us lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us so let's take number one here let's take number one lay aside every weight this is the first thing in our preparation now the word weight here is the greek word onkos it basically means bulk or mass it it is not necessarily bad in itself Uh, It's something, though, that can hold you back or slow you down in this race that you're in. I like the NIV translates onkos as everything that hinders. That gives us a little more picture of it. The NASB translated every encumbrance. So the idea is to strip off anything that will hinder your progress. You're running in this race. You're going fast in this race now i was thinking about this you know when i was in high school i was on the swim team and um one year i actually lo and behold praise the lord i actually qualified for state finals and um i remember that time my teammates they started to shave their bodies as swimmers do you know it's a big race and everything and they wanted to they they wanted to try and cut you know tens of seconds off their time so anything every little thing that they could do to go faster you know they had their 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 skin caps on their head and and nice you know aerodynamic goggles and then they shave and everything like that and so i thought okay i'll try this thing but you know what i could only get myself to shave my legs Yes, I did once shave my legs. And um, honestly, I didn't notice that much of a difference. But uh, I didn't like it. It was such a weird feeling to me. I know how you ladies do this. but it was so, And especially when the hair started growing back and the little nubbies. It's like, oh, this is so gross and weird and, and, and all that. But you understand that thought, right? 
When you're in a competition, when you're in a race, you do everything you can to strip off, to make yourself faster, to run the race better, faster, sooner, and, and to finish well, right? To, to go for this win. You understand how runners would never run in their warm-ups, right? You, you see in the Olympics how, or in the, the track races, they're warming up, you know, and then, but when they get ready for the race and they're getting in their lane lines and the gun's about to go off, their sweats are gone, right? Their, their, their sweat tops are off. Their leggings are gone. They're ready to run, you know, without those things. So that's that idea. Believers need to strip off anything that might hinder you from running. Be an encumbrance when you're running so that you can do everything you can to go for the win. You know, the question really is to us, what kind of bulk is keeping you from full faith? What kind of weight is keeping you from running full steam in this race of faith? Remember, weights here is not necessarily sin. He's going to talk about that in the next uh, section. But it's those things that make it difficult to run our Christian races. It, it affects our faith, our spiritual well-being. Let me put this out to you. Perhaps laying aside the weight means to put down that remote, Right? Watch less TV and maybe pray more. Perhaps it's stop watching YouTube late at night and then actually wake up early and give God more time. Perhaps laying aside the weight means, well, maybe break off an unhealthy relationship. Or, or maybe it means, you know, I shouldn't be so negative because it only feeds my flesh. Or maybe it, it means to do less of your hobbies or sports or something that is actually beginning to distract you from God. Here's how you, how you can tell. Ask yourself this question. Does it help or hurt you spiritually? Is it, is it a wing or a weight for you? Does it slow you down or speed you up in this race of faith? I mean, it, it could be something so innocent, and maybe it's okay for someone else, but for you, it slows you down. Interesting, I, I read this this week. Uh, Jamaican Olympic gold medalist Usam Bolt, right? You know his name. You know what? He ate like 20 chicken nuggets before he broke the 100-meter record. Crazy. That was, matter of fact, there was an article saying that uh, every day he was eating like, you know, like, I don't know, you know, hundreds of chicken nuggets. That's, I guess he liked that. Whoa, America, chicken nuggets, yeah. You know, for, for some it's great for him, but for some other people, oh, I don't know, chicken nuggets probably not good right before I run a race, right? Interesting. But God is asking us today to take inventory of our life and get rid of those weights, whatever slowing down, whatever diverts your attention, whatever that saps your energy, whatever that cools your passion for Jesus needs to go, you guys. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians six twelve: All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. It's a good word. Okay, so in this two-part preparation, it includes laying aside every weight. But number two here is lay aside the sin. Lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. And that's what we see in verse 1 here. The sin which so easily ensnares us. Now the word ensnares, it means surrounds. And it's the idea is like an ambush. And, and with this analogy of running the race, it's talking about the sin that will easily trip us up and make us fall. 
Now, now you got to understand the picture here. In ancient times, you know, their clothing was those robes, right? And, and, and a lot of times when they went to work, they, they'd actually cinch up the robe up, you know, uh, pulling it up, you know, so that they wouldn't trip over. Well, in running a race, in the ancient Olympics, you know what the Olympians did? They didn't run in their robes, yeah, because it would only get wrapped up in their legs and they, they would just trip and fall and they wouldn't be able to run the race. Back then, and I hate to give you this, the, this image, but they actually ran naked in the ancient Olympians. And that was the way. That's what they slipped off and they just went to run their fastest. So the idea is to not allow any sin in your life or it will trip you up in this race of faith. Remember in John chapter 8 when the accusers of the woman caught in adultery had left and Jesus gave her forgiveness. And remember what he told her? Go and sin no more. You see, her race of faith, it began when Jesus forgave her. And now Jesus said, now run your race now. But run this race by laying aside your sin that so easily ensnared us. Lay aside that sin of adultery. And so it is for you and I. We need to no longer allow any sin, especially that has been forgiven, dealt with, to be part of our lives anymore. Or you know what's going to happen? It's going to entangle our legs. It's going it's to trip us up in our race of faith. Put away those sins. Lay aside them that you may be able to run the fastest you can and that you may be freely run lay us put away those sins that maybe think about this that maybe you've allowed back or maybe you have allowed to stay around freely like maybe the sin of lust or how about gossip or how about dishonesty or maybe even those little white lies that you've been allowing or perhaps well there's no white lies right they're all black or perhaps Perhaps maybe you haven't seriously dealt with pride. It's time now to take out both the sin and the weights. We need to get up, get serious, get going. We need to run for the wind. And we need to run like that. And that's our heading, right? Run for the wind. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And that's the idea, that you're doing everything you can, like you're going for the gold here, that you lay aside those two things, your weight and sin. Well, this brings us to our point here. Step into the race of faith and do everything you can to run for the win. Step into the race of faith and do everything you can to run for the win. I read about a woman who had this dream at night. And she had a dream. She was taken up to heaven. But suddenly she stopped. She didn't rise up any higher. She started to go up to heaven. And all of a sudden, she was like, ooh, something stopped her. Well, looking down, she noticed a rope tied to her ankle, which was anchored down, tied below to her furniture. When she woke up from her dream, she felt the Lord telling her that she was not growing spiritually because she was tied down by all her stuff. Her worldly possessions were keeping her from running the race. What are we willing to give up to run the race? What is keeping us from really going all out for Jesus? 
that's what we need to lay aside. I like what a famous concert violinist said when asked about her secret to mastering the violin. You know what she said? Planned neglect. Planned neglect. And then she explained, there were many things that used to demand my time when I went to my room after breakfast. I made my bed, strengthened the room, dusted, and did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. She goes on to say, I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And that program of planned neglect is the secret of my success. And I like that. Some of us could use some planned neglect in our lives. We carry a lot, around a lot more junk that may, we may realize and we need to get rid of that excess weight. Let it go. Lay aside both the weight and sin so that we can step into the race of faith and do everything we can to run for the win. So this is the commitment to finish well. First of all, run for the win. Secondly, run the long run. Number two in our outline, run the long run. Hebrews chapter 12 now, the rest of verse 1 says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the writer adds that we should run with endurance now. Now, the word endurance really speaks about the steady determination to just keep going no matter what. It's, it means not to give up, not to slow down, it, it, even going when it's hard. It really speaks of not stopping or surrendering to those hard circumstances. And the interesting thing here is the word race that we see in verse 1. It's the Greek word agon, and it's where we get our word, our English word, agony. So we see the writer speaking of how the race is not easy, but it's grueling, it's hard, it's agonizing. And, and if you guys run, you know it's, it's not the funnest thing in the world. Matter of fact, I'd, I'd rather swim or surf rather than run, you know. But it's, it can be hard, right? And hard to run and all. Well, that's the idea. The idea is let us run with stamina and be in it for the long haul, even when it gets hard. John MacArthur wrote this, The Christian race is a marathon, a long-distance race, not a sprint. And I like that. So our race, our, our race, the Christian race is a marathon, not a sprint. Remember now, the writer writes to Jewish believers. And this is why he's saying this, right? They're facing great trial, great challenges. Remember how we've been studying the book of Hebrews? That they're, they're pressured from their family and their fellow Jews and to leave Jesus and to go back to the old Jewish rituals and traditions. They've been, they are treated and abused. They're treated badly here. The persecution going through is not easy. And you know what I was thinking? It's really hard when your family does it. It's really hard when your friends say, I mean, when it comes to relationships and things happen like that, it is utterly agonizing. But the writer is saying, hey, these believers, they are to be committed for the long haul. This is a marathon we're run, running. And that is what God wants for you and I, to run the long haul. Run, and that's our heading here, right? To run the long run. Sadly, though, I've seen many start off their Christian life running so strong 
but they did not last. It would seem like after maybe only 50 spiritual meters, they're no longer around. But it makes me think about, they're like the seed that fell on the rocky ground in the thorns, right? Uh, or, or the thorns, uh, the, uh, you know, either ground. After problems, persecution, worldly pressure, they, they were out of the race. They took them out of the race. Hopefully that's not been you, or has it been you? If it is, it's time to get up and get back in the race. You see, when we talk about endurance, it's not just keep running through the hardships, but it means getting back up and getting going, even after you have fallen, that you endure those things and get back into the race. Someone said, falling down doesn't make you a failure. Staying down does. I have to tell you about Brenda Martinez, who when racing in the 800 meter to qualify uh, for the 2016 Rio Summer Olympics, uh, she was knocked down when another runner tripped and fell into her. She was devastated. She didn't qualify. She didn't make it because she got way behind because of that. But you know what she said? She said, it's not about whether you get knocked down. It's about whether you get back up. So you know what she did? She went for another race, an even longer race, the 1,500 meter, and she came in third to qualify for the Olympics. And she said this, the trials were the hardest 10 days of my life, she said, but now I'm more confident than ever. And, and I love that. I love that. And here's the thing. If you have fallen out of this spiritual race, you, you know, it can be so discouraging, right? But with the help of God's grace and forgiveness, you can get up. You can get running again. You can have that confidence again that, you know, God is with me. I can do this. I can make this because of the Lord. And that's how you finish well. Maybe, maybe you've fallen out of the race. Maybe you stopped running. Maybe, maybe you've you even gone backwards. But if you can get back in the race and you end up finishing well, that's what it's about even if you've fallen. Now, what do believers run here? And we see this in the rest of this verse. Believers run the race that is set before us. And what does that mean? Well, the word set, it means what has been laid out before you. So we do not run whatever race we want to, but what God has marked out for you, for me. Like, a, like you know how that um, the white... Um, runner in a wedding yeah you know is, is put out is rolled out you know and the bride walks down the aisle and there's that white you know kind of carpet thing that the bride walks out well that that's that's you and i for each one of us has a path to run god has rolled that out for us a course has been marked out for you and i he's given us basically a life to run in a life to live the idea is see the old testament state Old Testament saints inspire us to live out our own life of faith. That's what the writer is saying here. We each have our own race to run, and we should run with endurance. We each have our own long run to run. Understand a couple of things here in this analogy as we're looking at this, that we, God has set this race, this course for us. Understand a couple of things. First, in this analogy, number one, we are not competing with each other, okay? We are not competing with each other. We are not pridefully and je- je- jealously catering to our flesh by trying to outdo each other in godliness or recognition in our accomplishments or ministry. If anything, 
we are completing like as a team in our individual events, you know, so like in gymnastics and all. No, you know who our opponents really are? It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world wants to distract us and slow us down in a race. The flesh wants to corrupt our motives and why we run. And the devil wants to take us out of the race completely and not have us complete it. So understand, we're not competing with each other. If anything, our opponents is the world, flesh, and the devil. The second thing to understand is your race is unique to you. Understand that. Your race is unique to you. Think about it this way. Out of over 7.7 billion people on this earth right now, God has made you uniquely you. He has given you a purpose. He has given you a mission for your saved life here on this earth. And so like, you know, fingerprints, right? It's all individual or like snowflakes, right? None of them are the same. You are. We're born as an original. There's no copies here, no cloning, none of that going on here. No, God has made you an original. And God has made you, then saved you, then equipped you to be who you are and do what he has sovereignly called you to do. Think about this. God has given you your talents, your skills. He's gifted you with your abilities, your even personality. And I'm talking about without the flesh part, right? And even the way you think, the way you see things, he's compiled them all together and put you, guess what? In your race to be used by him. Think about your life. Think about who you interact with. Think about where God has placed you. I mean, the family you belong to, the people you work with, the, those the other students you go to school with, the neighborhood you live in, this Island we live in, the state, our country. It's all our, our, specifically the race, the course, what God has set out for you. See, your life is your race. And you know what? That includes all the good, all the bad, all the hard times, all the trials, all the joys, all the victories, all of that, right? That's your race, your place, your mission, your life. And so how you run it is important. Your commitment to how you live before God and finishing well, that's the most important thing you could do in this life for the Lord. One more thing here. Because of this, you know what? Sitting there wishing you were someone else is pointless because God blessed you with who you are and your abilities so that you can fulfill this mission god has given you listen to what andrea anderson who ran for the gold medal women's um four by four hundred team in the 2000 olympics she said this i believe that god gives each of us talents but it's up to the individual to take those talents and use them to make the very best you with the right tools hard work and a bit of motivation you can maximize your talents isn't that good so our point here is commit to run your own race while you commit to run the long run commit to run your own race while you commit to run the long run in april of 1980 the fastest 
woman of the 84th Boston Marathon was Rosie Reese with a time of 2 hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds. Now, she would have been the third fastest woman recorded in a marathon at that time. And I say she would have because, you know what, Reese here, she did not run her race. Several runners began to report after a win that they did not recall seeing her at, during the course of the race. It's like, who's that? I don't remember her. She wasn't in any of the pictures or video footage. As a matter of fact, two others came forward and reported that they saw Reese suddenly dart out of a watching crowd less than a mile before the finish. Well, after the investigation of Boston Athletic Association, uh, they took Miss Reese and disqualified her because she basically cheated and did not run her race. Crazy, yeah? But I'll tell you, that's like us sometimes, though. When you come to Jesus, listen, when you, when you became saved, God set a race for you. A course was put out for you that you are supposed to run. And we cannot just stop. We cannot just do what we feel like. That would be not completing what God's will is for you. You cannot jump into someone else's lane and do their course. Uh, no, this is a commitment that we make before the God, that we get in a race, a commitment for endurance for the long run. And you know why? Because in the end, we're going to stand before Christ, right? We're going to stand before Christ in, in the village be, in, in, individually, and we're going to be held accountable to how we ran our own race. So you see, it's important that we run the long run, that, that we're in it for the Lord. We're all in it. We're going all out. We want to stay committed to our race that God has set before us and finish well all right well let's go to number three in our heading here run like jesus we have the commitment to finish well uh, uh our title number one run for the win run for the long run and now run like jesus hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 now it says the first part looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith okay now the writer brings our eyes to look higher the writer saying, hey, the greatest and highest example we have, you know what, is Jesus Christ. More than chapter 11, guys, that we saw in there. He says, here's what we really got to do. We got to be looking unto Jesus. And let me tell you, it's interesting. The Greek word here for looking, you know what it means? It, it just doesn't mean looking steadfastly, you know, at something. It, the, the Greek word actually goes deeper. It says it speaks of seriously looking away from something to steadfastly lock your eyes on something else. It infers this, that, the, that there's impossibility of looking in two directions at once. So that's why the NSAB it puts this, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love that. Fixing our eyes, locking in our, on Jesus. Why is that important? Well, he writes here in verse 1, or verse 2, because Jesus is author and finisher of our faith. In other words, Jesus is the author, the originator of our faith. He made the way for us to be saved. He pioneered our faith, that word even means. And he's also the finisher. Literally, it means perfecter or completer of our faith. He's the one, you know what, who in the end is going to bring us home into heaven. He's the one giving us the power. He's the one who's helping us, strengthening us. And, and I love that thought. Guess what? He's at the finish line waiting for us. 
We are to look to Jesus who is the ultimate hero of faith. That's the idea. He's the one who made this way to be saved and for us to live a life for God. And he, you know what? The idea is he's our example because he did this by running his race. I like how Bruce Barton explains this in his commentary. He wrote this. Jesus, our hero, the first to obey God perfectly, and thus began the new covenant. He set the course of faith, ran the race first, and now awaits for us to join him at the end, encouraging us all the way. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. That's why I'm reading it to you. This is, this is exactly what the writer is saying here. This is, this is the picture that the writer is putting forth to us. Jesus is our example to follow, and that's why we are to look to him. He's the one at the goal. That's why we are to look to him. He's the one who wants us to join him at the finish line. So that's why we are to run like Jesus. That's our heading. That's why we keep our eyes fixed on him. He's standing there. Then it goes on in verse 2. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus ran his race motivated by what would be accomplished. And that is the joy set before him. You know what that joy was? That you and I would be saved and have eternal life and be with him. That we would have a relationship with him. And you know what? I was just thinking about this yesterday that think about this. The joy set before him was all that he did would bring salvation to you and me. So he thought about you. He endured the cross because he was thinking about you and you and you and me. Think about that. How precious is that? That Jesus endured all that for the joy that one day you would be saved and you can have a relationship with him and that you would be with him in heaven one day. How wonderful is that? That brought him the joy and motivated him. So Jesus, it says here, endured what? The suffering and the pain of the cross. He endured and despised or disregarded the shame. What was the shame? Well, dying as a common criminal, falsely accused and being totally disgraced. But none of that deterred him from the goal of our salvation. Imagine if if, he, if Jesus didn't finish his race, imagine if he didn't cross the finish line. We would not be here today, you guys. We would not be here. But he did. And he did. And now through the blood of Christ, you and I, we can be forgiven and saved in Jesus Christ. And now it says after he endured the race, the agony, he has now, look, sat down at the right hand of the, who, of the throne of God. He's right there. He's in the place of that gold medal for him, exalted as Lord next to the Father in heaven. So the idea is this. If Jesus endured to make it there, to the finish, then believers are to follow in that same endurance. You know, I like to think of what the master said to his servant in a parable of talents. I like to think how Jesus, in the same way that Jesus will say to us, in Matthew 25, 21, it says, the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And then enter into the joy of your Lord. And that's what it is, you guys. One day we will come to the finish of our race. And on the other side of the finish line is joy. Why? Because Jesus is there receiving us. Jesus is there saying, you made it. And, you know, he's helping us get there. And the joy of being with God forever and eternity Oh, that brings me joy even right now. Just that thought. 
So like Jesus, we will enter into heaven and finally be with the Heavenly Father. So for that future joy, we endure the race like Jesus did. Okay, we must endure. You know why? And look at verse 3, our last verse here. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Okay, so we must continue to endure by considering how Jesus endured. And what did he endure? Fierce hostility. Think about how Jesus, who is God, perfect, sinless, powerful, and holy. Think of how Jesus allowed sinners, right? Sinful people to do things to him. Think about that. People punched him, right? Plucked out his beard, spit in his face, mocked him. And then he died the most brutal death anyone could die to take upon him the sins of the whole world. Jesus endured even with the power to stop it at any time, right? He's God the Son. But he didn't. So the writer is saying, consider what Jesus did. Consider, even after all these sinners did stuff to him. You know what? But he didn't get out of the race. Consider that, lest you get weary. Lest you get discouraged. Lest you feel like quitting the race because of what all these sinful things that are happening around you or to you. The idea really is next time you feel like quitting the race because of, of, of people doing wrong to you, hurting you, put, you know, bringing, bringing you down or making trouble in your life, next time you feel like quitting the race, look at the course that Jesus ran and all that he went through for you and he didn't quit. That's the idea. Missionary to China, a missionary to China, India, and Africa, C.T. Studd said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If he went through this, well, I'm ready to go through even my own trials. So the race Jesus ran should inspire us to run our race like he did. And so we come to our last point this morning. Keep your eyes locked on the one whose example will help you run like Jesus or run like him. So keep your eyes locked on the one whose example will help you run like Jesus. Eric Liddell, the famous Olympic runner, immortalized in the movie Chariots of Fire. Maybe you guys seen that, right? Let me give you a little timeline of his life. In 1902, he was born to missionary parents in uh, Tietzin, China, actually. In 1923, he joined the Glasgow, Scotland Students' Evangelistic Union. And it was, it was this fellowship of university students. They were dedicated to, well, you know what their passion was? Reaching Scotland for Jesus Christ. In 1924, he went to the Olympics. And literally, his most, this was his most famous decision that people know of, was at the Paris Olympics when he refused to compete in the 100-meter race because the event was held on Sunday. Even though the 100 was thought to be his best race for the, goal, for the gold, he was accused, he didn't run it, and then he was accused of being unpatriotic, legalistic, but you know what he did? The day after, he ran another race and he won the gold in the 400 meter and a bronze in the 200 meter. Well, the very next year, 
Liddell left Scotland, he went to Tietzen as a missionary and began teaching there. And that's amazing because he left this life of fame he could have had in a home country. He could have been comfortable, everything, because he wanted the gold and all famous. But he decided to leave all that behind and go back to China. 1934, he married Florence uh, Mackenzie in Tietzen. In 1937, he went on to do some more mission work based in Xiao Chang. And during this time, he was reflecting, and, and he wrote this. He wrote in his, in his kind of journal, he wrote to himself, he said, Ask yourself if I know something to be true. Am I prepared to follow it, even though it is contrary to what I want? Will I, will I follow it if it means being laughed at, if it means personal financial loss or some kind of hardship? You know what his answer was? Well, it's shown in his dedication and commitment to stay a missionary there in China. He's saying, yes, I'm ready to do whatever Jesus wants. Well, in 1943, during World War II, he was in prison at Waisian internment camp by the Japanese. And then a few years later, 1945, he died of a brain tumor in that camp. Now, was his life a failure? No. Eric Little had but one focus in his life. That's Jesus. He ran his race like his Lord did, sacrificing the, the worldly comforts and pleasures so that people would be saved. He was one who did not take his eyes off the goal. Eric Liddell ran his race with his eyes locked on to Jesus. That's what it's about, you guys. No matter what happens, good or bad, it's all about the Lord. That's what our life is about. So how about you this morning? Maybe you're in your race that God has given you, but let me ask you, what is your motivation what is it? Maybe, yeah, you're living the Christian life. Yeah, you do you, what you can for the Lord. But what is your zeal? What is your passion? What, what is driving you down deep inside? Is there a fire for Jesus? Sometimes, you know, I know some ministers, some guys, you know, or people in ministry, you know what their motivation? It's pride, sad to say. It's so the crowd can look at you and cheer. It's to please the crowd. What is it for you? Is it to honor the Lord who died on a cross for you? Sometimes we're looking around at, at the other guys in, in the lanes around us, yeah? And we're continually comparing yourself to other runners, yeah? You know that, we know this, right? If a runner look, looks around us, he's going to lose the race, yeah? We cannot. We got to be those runners who keep our eyes on a goal, locked and fixed upon Jesus, and that's how to finish well. Greg Laurie said, we are running to an audience of one. I love that. I love that. Maybe you're the runner who is constantly looking back. Why are you looking back? Well, maybe past accomplishments. But a lot of times, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm running like this too. You know why? I'm looking back at my regrets. I'm looking back on where I fell or where I failed and and, and you know what? All it does is, is I'll run into a pole. No, all it does is, yeah, it's, I, I, I've walked into a pole before. But, anyway, but, you know, when you're not looking forward, right, 
you, you can't run for the goal. You're, you're running all around. And when you, sometimes I keep looking back to the past. I start dwelling on the past and the mistakes and my regrets. And, and you know, it just slows me down. But understand, if you run like that, Jesus has forgiven you. And, 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 and even if you know that, sometimes you still dwell on that past and it will impede your progress. But listen to what Philippians 3 13 and 14 says, Paul wrote here, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, putting the past in the past, he's saying. And then he said, and reaching forward now to those things which are ahead. Then he said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you, that's what the Lord's been instilling in my heart lately. And that's what we need to do, guys. We need to press on, beloved. Forget the past. Face forward. Reach for the goal now. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Run the race and finish well. And what does that really mean, finish well? You know what that means? It means to accomplish all that Jesus wants you to do. That's what it means. That's what it means to finish well. Let me close with this story. A New York police officer became a Christian, and he had his race that he ran. But this is his story. Al Marcan had first heard about having a personal relationship with God at a pub. When he wasn't working as a policeman, he moonlighted as a brewer, and the people came in in, in the middle early morning of the pub who cleaned the pub would would put on uh, these messages, these sermons on tape, and listen as they, they work. Well, Al tried to avoid hearing the tapes, but some of what he caught, uh, what he heard, he started to take interest and eventually started to leave his door open just a little bit so he can hear more. Al, his life at that time, he loved drinking. He had a relationship with his girlfriend. They go out drink, and Rebecca was her name, and they would go from club to club every night. But something amazingly, amazingly happened. The girlfriend, Rebecca, found Jesus. And then when she found Jesus, she gave Al this ultimatum. Follow Jesus with me or let me go. Well, at first Al resisted, but the words he heard in those messages haunted him. He found himself visiting a church. And then the next, uh, and then the next weekend, and then, a week, uh, then a, a week or so later, he gave his life to Jesus. And then a week after that, he and Rebecca were married. And the couple actually became these on-fire believers. Al, he, he just had the zeal and passion for Jesus now. And he made a point of talking about Jesus with everyone he met. He loved to share his life-giving relationship that he found with the Lord. Then Al received a new call from God. He felt it beckoning him from an internet advertisement, actually, that said, become a flight attendant. Al was certain he had found God's plan for his life, seeing it as an opportunity to share the gospel to anyone there. And even if any of his fellow crew member passengers were facing an emergency on board. Well, then came September 11th. The night before, he had been asked to take the place of another flight attendant who had became ill. So on September 11, 2001, flight attendant Al Marcan hugged his wife, Rebecca, in Boston Logan's airport and told her he loved her. 
he was heading off to a plane bound for L.A. Here is Al. He was, he's uh, 44, uh, retired from the police force only eight months prior, and he had this new job with United Airlines. Well, Rebecca originally had questioned this career change that pulled him, was going to pull him away from the family. But Al had insisted that God wanted him to take the job for a reason. Well, 64 minutes after takeoff, Al's plane, Flight 175, plowed into the World Trade Center South Tower. Rebecca said she knew it wasn't a mistake that her husband was on Flight 175. Calling it, she said, a lifetime of planning on God's part. Rebecca believes Al was supposed to be on that fatal flight and that her husband shared the gospel with other passengers. And then she said, though now in heaven, Al is still impacting people as a result of his relationship with Jesus. What a story. Now we may say, how tragic. On one hand, it is. But on the other hand, Al did what he loved to do. His race was to share the gospel to whoever and who's, who, wherever and whoever God brought to him. Who knows, I have to say, how many came to eternity, came into eternity as a result of Al being in the right place at the right time. And this was for him to finish his race that God had set for him. Though it seems tragic in a human perspective, the eternal perspective is that he finished well. You guys, will you make that commitment today to get into the race, to stay in the race, to get up and get back in the race if you have fallen, to go all out for what Jesus has called you to do. God is calling us, you guys, each and every one of us, to run our race. Will you make that commitment today? Run for the win, to run the long run, to run like Jesus. Will you do that today? Make the commitment to finish well. Let's pray. Lord, as we have heard you speaking to our hearts through your word this morning, God, we know that you are calling us. You're calling us to get focused on you, to to get to our mission that you've given us, to get to the race, to stop playing around, to stop running slow, to stop walking, to stop going backwards, to get up and not sit down anymore. And if we have fallen, to get up in your forgiveness and grace and to get going again. Lord, forgive us for allowing the influences of the world to come in and distract us. Forgive us for allowing our flesh, those fleshly things to motivate us. Forgive us, God, for allowing even Satan himself to stop us completely. We know better. God, you're reminding us. You're teaching us now. You're, you're, you're looking into our eyes, straight into our eyes right now, holding us on our shoulders, and you're calling us, get running. Get running. Lord, we know time is so short. And so, God, as we are about to go out from this room, to go back into the world, to go back to our lives, Lord, 
go before us and prepare our paths and set that race before us. And may we be bold, Lord, and may we be courageous to run that race with everything we can, laying aside those weights, Lord. May our life change today, right now. We know those weights that are are cooling the fire in our hearts. We know those weights that are slowing down our running. We know those weights, God, that are affecting our faith in you. Help us to lay aside those things. And God, certainly we want to repent of our sins and turn from them. But I pray from this moment on that we will reassess our life and change those things that are not spiritually healthy for us, Lord. You know, as our heads are bowed right now and 